Lucy guesses some names. Yeah, teasingly. And the script indicates that Ricky takes his hands away from Lucy's eyes, turns her around and says... No, it's me. So my question again, Jess, does Ricky honestly, truly believe that there might be eight different men who routinely walk into their apartment, all of whom sound exactly like Desi Arnaz? You think we're saying Ricky's stupid? I think you're saying the audience is. And that's something for which they won't soon forgive you. Welcome back, analysis listeners. Want to welcome back into the podcast, Jules Sipes. Jules, come on in. I'm here after the length of the Bible. Exactly. I'm Recorded. Back. Thank you, darling. Thank you. Recorded for in me. front of a live studio audience, oh, uh, as they used to do. Yeah, I mean, in front of Zelda Fitzgerald. Yeah, so I have not been on this podcast, no shade to you, but since I think June of 2021, not that I'm counting. You're counting. (laughs) It's been a minute, and I'm so thrilled to be here because I love this type of subject, and I'm sure that's why you're having me on. Well, you know, CBS, we can't have any programming involving uh, ladies being pregnant or talking about pregnancy, so that's why we had to. uh, Yeah, yeah. You, you were never pregnant, I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to find bridges and through lines. But today yeah. we are going to be talking about Being the Ricardos, the Aaron Sorkin movie that's currently streaming on, I believe it's Amazon Prime Amazon. Video, written yeah. and directed by Mr. Sorkin. And yes. I thought this one was perfect for you because you're this person who comes on and gives us some insight into classic movie, You've been on classic movie cruises. You have the classic movie channel playing all the time. And when we were kids, as my aunt, you would always be playing for us Nick at Night and the I Love Lucy show. So just come in and and talk to us because this story obviously is about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. And it takes place during a very, very specific and interesting time in the show and in their careers, but talk to me about your relationship to Lucille Ball first. Well, my relationship with Lucille Ball has its peaks and valleys, but I started out with her through I Love Lucy um, as kids very long ago. um, Your aunts and I and your mom, we would watch the reruns then. So the Mm -hmm. reruns from the 50s, I Love Lucy. And she had another show called The Lucy Show that we would watch in reruns and loved and laughed at and thought were wonderful. And then Paulina, your cousin, you guys would watch I Love Lucy together on Nick at Night. When Nick at Night was predominantly just old reruns, it was just a cheap cable network that just (laughs) redid old shows and then actually Mimi got into Lucy as well and she is now 17 so this is comedic brilliance that has spanned many a generation consistently on point hysterically funny has never um although the situations can be very sexist very dated the comedy is truly timeless and still makes people laugh as much now as it ever did 
So that's originally how I got to know Lucy, but then through my classic movie experience, um, a little bit later, I had seen a lot of films with Lucille Ball, and she was very much considered in Hollywood as a B-movie actress, who I honestly still don't really understand why that is, because she was beautiful, she could dance, she could sing, she obviously had great comedic timing, but I've also seen her in classic films in the 30s and 40s where she's in noir. Um, so she could really do it all then. But I think in that Hollywood system, she just had not found her footing. It wasn't, her footing was definitely in television. And so um, I had seen, there are a few classic films that she's in that are in my collection. And those films are comedic, but she also did very serious films as well and was very good in them. But the way she was owned by MGM, I think she was pegged in a certain way where she couldn't um, rise. She was always getting beat out by other actresses for certain roles. And I think that's brought up a bit in Meet the Ricardos. She talks about that. So Absolutely. There's definitely traces here where they, they're constantly ping-ponging back and forth from the central conflict, which is this week of the show. And they're, they're doing flashbacks of her development in, in time in the system, as you called it. And, and there's definitely a, a lot of metaphors there's definitely a lot of conversation on what it was like to be a not just a female performer at the time but just a woman in this industry and and, and that's one of the themes that they're they're juggling with in the show and to to kind of yes and you and to bring this into being the ricardos the the, the movie this wasn't just a oh how fun type of um, docudrama that we see sometimes where you're just kind of hanging out and it's someone doing an impersonation and, and there's not right. a lot of substance. Like, I, I think that one of the things I really liked about this and, and Brecken had actually said, and, and she's one of the people, and, and you talk about the timelessness of Lucille Ball, but she has a, a great appreciation and fondness for the material because she would watch it with her grandma. And she was like, I love that this movie is spending time outside of the character of Lucy and focusing on Lucille Ball, the person. And, and you see her when she's in performance and that's the Lucille Ball we all know is this character, this, right. this Lucy right. character, but you get to see much more of her as a person and, and, and it definitely pulls the curtain back and, and, and layers it. Did, did you enjoy that experience as well? I did, I really did. And you know, from our previous podcasts that we've done together that I'm sure everybody has listened to Everyone. that I have a problem with classic film or TV people being brought to me through film when they are impersonating. So for example, Judy Garland, any of them, you name it, Orson Welles, what, mm -hmm. whatever it is, because I'm so used to them as an entity that when I see actors do these performances, I'm immediately turned off by it. But with that being said, they did not impersonate them. They were inspired by them. And to me, I loved that they were fully fleshed people 
that it wouldn't have mattered to me whether or not they were actually Lucy and Ricky. Do you see what I'm like? Yeah, they absolutely. were representing yeah. two people in the industry and the fact that they weren't um, so um, insistent on nailing them down physically, for example, um, her look was not, I mean, there were some alterations made, but it wasn't jarring to me. I just mm -hmm. thought it was, I believed Lucy as a full fleshed person. Yes. Yeah, and I, I just, and, and, and that's why it's nice to be able to see because that's something I can honestly say I, I didn't have awareness to was Lucille Ball's career outside of I Love Lucy. Like I, I, I found that interesting and I like that Sorkin put in her meeting Desi Arnaz and, and it colors the characters because Desi is this nightclub supposed to be star, but as Lucille yes. Ball starts to grow in popularity, he's playing his songs at the club and all the phot photographers the are over here. And you can see that that jealousy seeds start to get planted in his mind. And they're, they're constantly wrestling with Desi Arnaz's ego when it comes to his role in the show and, and obviously she wants part of her struggle as a character arc is getting him this executive producer credit because he does do a lot and they show him doing yes. a lot for the production of the show in, in different aspects and, and she's, she's trying to save her marriage by giving him some more spotlight because it's, he's, he's clearly struggling and wrestling with it. And what this story does, if, if you guys haven't seen it, is it focuses on a very specific week and they set up kind of this fake documentary style and it's not Spinal Tap, but there's people that are no. talking heads, talking to a documentary crew about- That are the, trying to fill us in historically historically and they're talking first of all in shocking numbers about the volume of people that used to watch i love lucy live and the pressure that this yes. production staff because a, a typical i think i'm getting these numbers right but a typical uh, viewing audience for a show like maybe friends or something is like five or six million people and 60 million people used to watch i love lucy live every single week and so every that's the week the pressure that they're under and we kind of parachute in on this story during, and this is very Sorkin-y, he loves these very specific moments in, in time. For example, he, he did it a lot with the Jobs movie, but he, we, we parachute in on this time where Lucille Ball has been pegged by the Blacklist Committee as a communist. Yeah, and yes. So there's like three things that they're juggling with throughout the central part of this narrative, which is one, her marriage. So she's struggling with her marriage during this week. She's trying to find ways to get Desi EP credits and, and to give him more spotlight because she's, she, she has started to read tabloids that he might be stepping out of their yes. marriage. Then there's, yes. there's the second thread, which is will this show even go on? because the, the, the controversy has heated up so much to where they don't even know if they're gonna do this week's production or not. And they're, they're trying to go through their normal process of putting up the show, but they don't know whether the show's even gonna go on air night or not. And then three, will this communist story be taken care of? Like, will, Le will Lucy be absolved of this, this rumor or of this, right. this peg? Yeah. Which to put in context too, as to how big of a star she was, was the these blacklist 
controversies going on were so prevalent and so common that it was, I can't, I'm trying to think of something other than right now with the Republican party, like people falling all over the place that are being accused of all of these different things. And it's happening so much, this blacklisting, that people are kind of, it's, they're kind of deaf to it because they've, mm -hmm. they've been hearing it so much that it's like, oh, there's another one, there's another one. So when it happened to Lucy, that show that that spotlight was so bright on her showed how important she was because she they're literally like oh my gosh humphrey bogart lauren bacall all these people going down but lucy my god it lucy can't go down i mean it yeah. was like it was like the worst thing that could have possibly happened and so you know do you remember in the film when they were talking about when the documentarians were talking about, um, or the, the people that were working with her at the time, were talking about like the water use would go down, like all of these things would happen during this yeah. half hour of Lucy that literally altered the United States of America for, for an 30 hour. minutes. Yeah, no, 30 minutes, yeah. Like, whatever yeah. happened. <laughs> yeah, people so wouldn't shed, people I wouldn't be eating. That, it's, yeah. that, thread, that thread of the communist when it was taking place at that time most people at that time were saying yeah everybody in hollywood's a red you know who's paying attention but when it's lucy it's a huge. big deal and that's why yeah. it's it's so problematic because there's so much at stake for the and there's always these meetings where there's 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 12 different people whether it's the legal for this the each of the performers it's the legal for the ep it's the legal for the studio the they're all in there because there's just it, and and also the the sponsors of the show they're all in there yeah, with their legal absolutely. and it because there's so much at stake for these people and and the hollywood blacklist stories that's that's been shown in modern movies a lot whether it was trumbo which was the brian cranston movie which i, I actually right. thought was really nice the majestic was a jim carrey movie that was pretty shitty yes. but that was a that was a big part of that movie good night and good luck stuff like that so so like the, this this whole like blacklisting and in communist and in suppression of mccarthyism freedom, um, yeah. mccarthyism and freedom of speech like that that's something that's always very relevant so that they can draw back on examples and case studies from that event but I, this was this was one that i wasn't aware of and, and I, it fits very nicely into a, a conflict like it's very like urgent it's an urgency and a conflict which is why i it makes sense for sorkin to set his story in this particular and it's week. so timely i mean how far have we come we're we're right back in this <laughs> we just yeah. seem to get back into these things again but the the situation also with Lucy and Ricky was, you know, he's this Cuban guy and he's from this communist nation and, you know, the, the mixed, quote unquote, mixed marriage in that yeah. time. I mean, it's a really was... bold show it because they show and this is really cool because you start to flash back, right? You start to flash back and you, you see all the ways we get up to I Love Lucy being the phenomenon that it is and it starts with Lucille Ball first getting rejected by Hollywood because she's too old yes. so you see yes. that right and, and you see that work then you see her do the radio circuit and she's killing and people killing are like it. we need to get her on TV and TV hadn't really been invented yet like the Farnsworth and everything right. like it, it's a new concept but they're like we need to get you on film and she starts to grow in popularity 
to where she's able to call her shot and she asks for her husband but they're the the studio is reluctant because they're like we can't have a latin guy and a yeah. woman no that it's get a mixed now. marriage oh my god that. it was just all this hand wringing of the, the this puritan hollywood elitist. hollywood yeah yeah and i think that with her comedic power that she had the whole thing was wait until everybody sees her face doing yeah. these things that she was doing on the radio the because she radio was always off book right she right. was always off book she always acted with her body and, and they even say like and hey i notice you don't use the script and she's like well my voice and my body and my face are all i have so i have to use them all to be effective so they knew that she would be a huge hit if she were to be seen yeah. so she was made for tv really and i love the way that they are able to identify her genius in the comedy and in the table work and in the rehearsal yes. process and as an actor ring the siren that stuff i love rehearsal scenes i loved it when it was in birdman and it was edward norton working it out with michael keaton and i loved it here where you sh they show the specificity and her process in making that bit work. And how I always, that's how effortless it is because uh, as a viewer in all comedy that I watch that makes me laugh when it's done correctly, just like Fred Astaire tap dancing, it looks effortless and you don't want to imagine that all the technical is going into it, but the detail and her technical, I, I would say obsessive, um, behavior on how that worked i just thought it was naturally her is mm -hmm. how ridiculous is that i just thought it was just she was doing it off the cuff i didn't realize how much thought went into it and i and i love that and, and it does it does give a whole new sense it gives a whole new appreciation for the art form when you look at her grilling those writers in that writer's mm -hmm. room on the specificity of a word just a simple just like hey this this if we use this other word instead of this word the line will hit harder or the the, the work that she's doing in the rehearsal space of trying to get that dinner scene to play and it can't just be nonsensical stage action like we need to have very detailed and specific movements here that build to a punchline and she's she's working it out so much harder than the writing staff is the director on the production who's a child and she just completely <laughs> just does not respect or find credible like the other actors and like she's pulling this comedy out of it and it, i just loved how much she she gets them together to do the the elbow bit at the table or the flowers she just so desperately wants to 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 add these flowers in because she's looking for the honesty in the moment no i mean i think that that's the part of it where she whether she's saying the point or just exhibiting it that they were all underestimating the audience mm -hmm. and she was constantly thinking of the audience isn't going to believe that Ricky's just going to walk in the room, look at me and say, are you home or whatever these entrance lines he had. And that's why she came up with one of his catchphrases of, you know, Lucy, I'm home, that kind of thing. And she knew she would say, people aren't going to buy this. This is not 
you're underestimating the viewer, but they didn't care. They just wanted to push this stuff out there and get it done yeah. because it was live TV. And I think she, well, first of all, so the moment that we're talking about, she's preparing the dinner table for this, this dinner party. And she's like, do you really believe in this small space that she's not going to know that her husband is sneaking up behind her? <laughs> and then behind her. our correspondence, she's, she's pretending that he, he, she's pretending that he could be one of 12 different men. She starts listing off men yeah. and he's like, no, no. And he, he grows increasingly frustrated. And her frustration is, do you really think the audience is going to think that he believes that there's 12 other men that are coming in and out of this house at any given time. She's like, and the audience will not forgive you for disrespecting their intelligence. And it just so happened at this time that I'm watching this movie, I'm also reading the Mike Nichols book. And Mike Nichols oh. is this brilliant movie and stage director, but he has this whole chapter, they have this whole chapter on Mike Nichols directing Spamalot. And it's very similar to what's happening in this play where he keeps reminding the actors to play the honesty in the moment and focus on the honesty in, in, in these places because that's where the, the, the true laugh will happen. When we're dishonest, we will, we will lose all of our credibility in any sort of natural yeah. laugh that we yeah. can possibly get, whether it was Odd Couple or spam a lot or whatever it's like play the honesty even when it's not yuck yuck laugh 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 when it's a serious moment mm -hmm. i mean he mike nichols genius 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 but i think that with her attention to detail with directing fred and ethel and stopping things she inevitably created these classic tv moments that we still refer to today not like friends time ago not cheers time ago we're talking about 1950s and we are still talking about them there are lunch boxes there are you can still buy i love lucy swag there are board games i mean that's relevance in yeah. this day and age so that is an artistry that she had that i had no idea until actually i watched this film. Um, I, I almost had goosebumps when they're starting to storyboard the next season and she starts, they're going, okay, we're going to go to Italy. We want to get her in some sort of physical bit where she's in grapes. And you start to see her working with the writers on like, oh, I get, she's going to lose her earring. Oh, and then they start to cut to that famous scene where she's in, in the grape in bucket. In the vat. With in the, the vat. And yeah. you, you're watching it work <laughs> out. And like you could see her putting together all of those different lines, all those different strings she's connecting into what will make an incredible bit. You know, and she, she just sees Which, it and, and she's able to just visualize it. It's like, oh, this, like this woman really was just way more than a incredibly talented was, physical comedian. Yeah, she was looking out and she could see it on a screen before it happened. And when they recreate those scenes in this film, you're looking at them and it's it kind of takes your breath away how accurate it is. And just being able to see that creative process going on behind. It kind of reminded me a little bit of like Get Back and watching Paul McCartney working on 
get back the Josie song was and you're a, and being a, <laughs> Josie was a, but it is it's yeah it's like a um you've just it's you've been watching this show over and over and over again for 50 years and then you're seeing how it was actually put together and i know it's a dramatization but i thought nicole did a wonderful job. I mean, she really, that was a huge undertaking for her. And yeah. I thought she did her well. I really do. What was your feeling on her performance? I liked all the performances. I thought she was good. Hayes did say, and we'll probably hear more from him when it comes to Oscar time on this movie, but he did say he had a hard time wondering where the prosthetics ended and the plastic surgery began. But yeah. in, in general, I thought I liked J.K. Simmons as Fred. Yeah, always, I really always. liked Nina Arianda as uh, Vivian. I thought that, that that whole character where she's she's trying to have more sex appeal, she's also like frustrated in that her husband, like this running bit of her husband being this six-year-old man, but not finding her attractive enough, or she's this like old haggard I... nag, and she's like, what the fuck? And it reminds me almost those when when we would watch Seinfeld with Brecken and it's oh all these gross God. men calling Elaine like nasty because her her mascara is running when they're going yeah they're talking about how ugly she is or whatever and Brecken would say what what the hell what Jason Alexander guys, what is, is being critical judging Julia Louis Dreyfus like what like what did what where do these guys get off and it's like very that, that was just definitely that like white male gaze of like oh the old ball and chain and it's like Fred you're the, a 60 year old big old drunk she's like I'm glad that I, everyone and I really liked that kind of the the relationship and and she's trying to lose weight but Lucille's like you're supposed to be the every woman here and they want to see you're themselves supposed to in be you. courtly yes and I, that was something else that was in another Lucy biography that was pointed out to me at a later time that I didn't realize was the dynamic that was going on, that they wanted her to look like a typical American housewife. And I thought that um, the, the work on Ethel in this film was great. And once again, the two characters were inspired by, by William Frawley and um Vivian Vance they didn't they it wasn't like they were impersonating them and I will take that over impersonation any day of the week and as far as he's thinking about the the prosthetics and all of that I really thought it was going to be a lot more shocking than it well I thought it was very subtle so what do I know I, I mean love, I thought, when you see her go full Lucille Lucy with the Lucy hair on performance night you're like holy shit that's Lucille yeah it takes your breath away and her speaking voice as Lucy and as Lucille Ball, the person had different inflection. Had so she yeah. would change and you could hear the two different styles that she would have for Lucy, the character. But I'm going to go right to Javier and say, I'm on the record as saying I would listen to and watch Javier read the phone book. Mm -hmm. But I thought he was star as Ricky. I thought he was star, star, effortless. I thought he was glorious. And I was waiting for him to come back on the screen. He was so good. I, the only problem I have is, and I'm just going to just say this briefly, 
is that Sorkin is a writer and a director. Um, as a writer, I think he's a wonderful writer. A director, I'm still not completely on board with Sorkin as a director, but he has a habit in his direction of creating super male characters. Mm. And that is something that I see consistently in his films. And he really did that with Ricky okay. a lot. Because Ricky you mean super, like flies you mean... in, flies in like Superman and takes care of the situation. And I loved it because it was Javier, but I do have to say that that is a Sorkin move. Does that make sense? I like I like the, the journey because he's he's obviously the central part of that first through line we were talking about was which is he cheating on her? Will this marriage survive? Yeah. And and she treats yeah. the production of the show, she treats the rehearsals as this sanctuary where she knows where her husband is. And it's this perfect little world that she's created where they can live happily ever after. And and I right. do I love the subtlety that he had at the end where Lucille's Lucy, Lucille Ball is constantly saying, Why would he believe that all of these men have been coming in like what is she what is he an idiot like all of these yes. men would be coming in like how could he ever believe that and then you get the turn with the lipstick on the on the handkerchiefs yes. and and you you never knew like what motivated her to go out in the rain and call that 1am rehearsal she, she's she's messing with the laundry and you're like something had to happen and and you get the handkerchief later but then she's standing there she goes up on her line on production night and then she ends up running the bit back with all of the names because she's like well I've been duped this character it, it yes. must be some sort of realism because I've been duped by all these women coming and going under my nose yes. maybe 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 Ricky in this moment has too and she she kind of has that realization I thought that was very creative writing yeah I I know I I completely agree with you on that I'm I completely agree I just feel and I and and um, Desi Arnaz was a big giant cheater. And he did have a lot of different struggles that he dealt with in the process, as did Lucy, obviously. But I do think that in this film, he was flawless. Yeah. I mean, in that part of that part of it, how it affected her, but also um, that he had almost this superhero kind of quality yeah. he does it i i really did like the moment i was pretty i was pretty emotional when and he gets the, when he was he out on the stage uh j edgar hoover on on the yes. phone i mean that's insane yeah yes it's it's really and you, you see her kind of wipe back her cheers and then come out triumphantly and she's she's ready to do the show and i i, I thought that I, I i did really like the way and you think that's the it's going to be this triumphant ending and you get punched in the gut with that punched realization the, which is of great writing and we bring yeah. it home with we bring it home it's, with what she's been struggling with the whole time is this line even is this bit even honest and she realizes actually it, it is sadly it is yeah yeah and i and there were it was such a a broad um there were so many statements on the role of women in Hollywood and in the in that historical time that I have to give Sorkin all the credit for the focuses on women writers in in yeah. the industry and Lucy herself how she was treated by the industry and all of it coming in with the pregnancy aspect with little Ricky and her expecting the baby 
and how they were going to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Um, pregnancy on TV, all of those things. He did cover a lot of that. I, I will, I mean, I, I give that to him, but there is an aspect, well, that he, it's a style that he has. Well, and then we, and he knows writer rooms well, because obviously he ran the West Wing and all sorts of other shows that aren't as popular as the West Wing, but he, you know, he, he's very familiar with the dynamics of a writer's room. And I I think that they, they work with that group too. That's kind of a sub story here is where the, the female writer in the, in the group fits and and how she gets credit or doesn't get credit for certain bits. I think obviously he's speaking from a lot of experience of people trying to put ownership on a certain bit that works or doesn't and and just kind of the the inter banter between the writers on the staff they're jockeying for position yeah Yeah. and that's um i i women writers now still deal with it obviously not as much but um jockeying for to have their stuff on saturday night live or wherever it is that they're writing um it's it's a difficult, it's still a lot of a man's world, really. Yeah. And we had Kate Loveless on, who is a writer in Hollywood, and she was talking to us about her experience within the writer's room. And I'd be really interested to hear her take on this movie as well, just how accurate those scenes that played out. But it's, it's, it is kind of an interesting, all the different pieces that go into a television show, especially a live one at that. And I, I, I thought it was uh, overall, I, I obviously I, I enjoyed it. I, I don't think it's the, the world's greatest triumph, but I, no. I definitely think no. nice piece of Sorkin writing. I think some of his directing was lacking, especially the score. Like there were some really weird music swells that, that just didn't fit the where the scene was in that time. Right. Um, right. Without, without going. Into I don't even detail. remember. So that's, that yeah. means that it wasn't effective. Uh, but overall, I, 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 I enjoyed it. I thought it was a very creative way to tell uh, or to, to do a movie on Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. And, and I think the performances all worked. I, overall, I, I, I would give it yeah, a recommend. I thought it, it was good. Stream. And I, I think that focusing on a small, a small aspect, a small period in time is always, is always good for developing yeah. characters. Absolutely. Instead of we're going to go through the history of Lucy, like and then from we, the beginning. To the, and we can see some important, we, just yes. some prioritized important moments in. that, and we, we get to learn a little bit and then we're back to this narrative and the narrative was compelling enough to drive uh, an hour and 45 Did you minutes. like them using the, the, the people, the industry people to- Oh, the, to the documentary flashbacks? The story together, yeah. It's, it was like okay. That? It was it was a device to be able to do some table setting when he needed it to in the movie transitions. And it yeah. was also, it, it, was just, it was just a way to kind of keep the story fresh. You're just going to jump out, yeah, we'll get some context, we'll go back in. So, I mean, I didn't, you know, it's, it, it was a way to kind of give a history lesson and color the stakes without having to have like type, title cards. Reenactments. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I thought it was good. I thought I was pleasantly surprised because you know, I just don't I have a hard time with it. I love the originals and there's no one more original than yeah. I love Lucy. She's one in a million. So yeah. it's she Nicole did a good job. I mean, what can I say? They're hard shoes to fill. And yeah. Javier, Javier. Yeah. I'm all about it. Well, there's some 
swank shoes to fill. Lucy, I'm home. Well, we're about to leave the home and say goodbye. But I want to thank you for coming on, Julie. I just got here. No, we're going to see you at the end of July. And thank you for all the <laughs> listeners for coming in. Don't forget to smash thank that you. subscribe. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I love you and I'll talk to you soon. I'll talk to you Ask soon. Ask me back anytime. No. And make sure you smash the subscribe button. Wash your hands, stay safe. And we'll see you down the road. Brought to you by Jericho. Yes. Yeah.